Welcome to the Humanity Matters broadcast. I'm Dr. Philip Fletcher, your host, where we discuss and reflect on theology, philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social justice. This is the podcast where we wrestle with the important question, what does it mean to be human? How's everybody doing? Good, good, doing good. Uh, like Dr. Uh, Jay said, my name is Philip Fletcher. Uh, uh, husband of 20 years, Nicole, have three kids. Nicholas, who's at Henderson State, uh, studies business and plays football up there. I have a daughter, 17, at Conway High, and a 16-year-old daughter as well at the high school. We've lived here, going on 11 years in April. Uh, as uh, your professor said, I was uh, in the military before. I was a combat arms officer. Um, I did uh, schooling, grew up in California, Southern California area, but I'll talk about all that uh, in a second. And he wanted me to uh, uh, talk uh, some today about uh, rap and hip-hop and uh, my life experiences growing up in it. And so uh, what we'll do is I'll give you a couple meditations on... Uh, just my thoughts about rap and hip-hop over the years and how I think it works in uh, the life of the African-American community and then how it's influence on the world. And then we'll just walk through some songs that have been important to me uh, growing up. There's some songs that stick out uh, that I remember growing up uh, and even are important to me now. And so uh, as a Christian, since this is about music and religion, right? Uh, as a Christian, uh, one of the things I understand about uh, rap and hip-hop, it functions as a, a prophetic tradition. That is, you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, when you think about, familiar, familiar with the Bible, uh, there are these uh, individuals who announce uh, critique about the existing systems, okay? Uh, the power structures that were... Uh, not doing what they were supposed to do, which were to lead people to worship uh, Israel's God, okay? And so these prophets would come along, and they would be uh, like the prosecutors of the nation, okay? Uh, if you imagine a courtroom, these individuals would come in, and they would lay out a case as to why the king or the kingdoms uh, were not doing what they were supposed to do, all right? But in the midst of what they were saying... Uh, periodically they would say, this is what's going on in the human experience. This is what's going on with the poor. This is what's going on with the sojourner. This is what's going on with the widow. These are the people that you are supposed to remember. And then uh, periodically these prophets, they would critique, they would talk about the human experience, and then they would have this creative imagination. They would have this hope. This is what we think life is supposed to be like. All right. And so uh, rap and hip-hop, is in that same way, all right? Growing up with uh, African Bombada, Public Enemy, growing up with KRS-One, now these are old cats from the 80s, okay? Uh, you move forward, you have Ice Cube and NWA, all right? You move forward a little more, then you have uh, Nelly, and you have uh, Master P as getting a little bit more commercialized, all right? And then you have the rise of uh, popular today, Kendrick Lamar and Chance the Rapper and uh, in Christian tradition, you have uh, Lecrae and Shobaraka. So all of these individuals, regardless of their uh, religious beliefs, these individuals, these men and women, think about MC Light, 
uh, early on, we think about um, uh, the real Roxanne, okay? And nowadays, you know, it'd be uh, Nikki B or Cardi B, uh, these, in, these women, all right? These uh, men and women, they were critiquing, all right? This is what's going on, this is what's wrong. This is the human experience, this is what's going on where we live, all right? And this is what we're hoping for. All right, and so uh, me growing up back in, I was born in 1973, all right, I was 45, uh, two weeks. Uh, I remember uh, my parents' favorite album was uh, Motown, basically. That was their generation, Temptations, Four Tops, all right? That was their generation, all right? Uh, kind of at the... Uh, the middle and the rise of the civil rights movement, okay? Uh, and then on its wane in the, in, the, in the 70s with the rise of the Black Panther movement, we have these songs, all right, that were coming up and it was communicating what life was like for African, for blacks, all right? And then later on, African Americans. So one of those songs is uh, Marvin Gaye's Inner City Blues. I hope the sound works. I can help you with it. Uh, okay. Maybe. Uh, sometimes it's up here. Sometimes it might be muted on the music. Is it music? Yeah. All right. All right, so uh, when rap and hip-hop, it comes up out of this tradition. So you have uh, singers like uh, Marvin Gaye and someone else who we'll hear about in a second, Jill Scott Heron. They were looking at, this is what life is, all right? Uh, inflation is sky high. He's sending my brothers and sisters off to die. He's speaking about the Vietnam War, all right? Later on, he says this, crime is increasing, trigger-happy uh, policing. Does that sound familiar? All right, panic is spreading. God knows where we're heading. They don't understand. Oh, it makes me want to holler. They don't understand. All right. And so uh, for Marvin Gaye, yeah, as, a, as, a, as a black man, he was seeing what was going on in his community. And he said, it just makes me want to holler. This is the inner city blues. This is what's going on in our streets. Are you listening? All right. You're sending our boys off to die. All right. So we're struggling for integration here at home. 
right? But you send black and white men off together to, to die in the jungles of, of Vietnam. But when we come back, we're segregated again. All right, and so this was what was playing in my house. All right, this is what I was hearing growing up as a kid. Another one, now he was a little bit uh, two years before I was born, uh, and uh, he is in the uh, realm of what you consider early rap. Um, Jill Scott Heron, and listen to this. All right, so uh, Jill Scott Heron, the revolution, the change that's going to happen, it's not going to occur with Nixon, his name president. He's not going to occur with any of his staff, Spiro Agnew, all right? The revolution is going to be live. It's going to happen in the streets. It's going to happen with flesh and bone individuals, brothers and sisters who are going out seeking change. Once again, in, in, in this, you hear the whole song, uh, and I encourage you to, to look these songs up and listen to them. Uh, Heron, once again, is saying, hey, this is what's going on. Pay attention. This is what we want. Okay? This is where we're hoping it's going to be. All right? So uh, these uh, influences like Marvin Gaye, Jill Scott Heron, and many others is what fed uh, the music that I grew up in in, in rap and uh, hip-hop. And when uh, rap and hip-hop came along, the first song I remember is Don't Push Me Because I'm Close to the Edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. What's he talking about, though? The message. All right? In the message, it's a six-minute rap, and it is going through different instances of what it is to grow up in the black community, all right? What it means to be incarcerated, what it means to see drugs being sold in your community, what does it mean when a woman has to prostitute herself in order to pay her bills? It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. This is what I was growing up hearing. It was good. Young cats, actually 16, 17-year-olds who are making music 
putting on T808s, that's a beat machine, all right? And you could do it yourself. Or you could do it yourself. We would get together in a room, me and my friends, and we would try to battle rap, put together some simple lyrics and just talk about whatever was going on in life. This gave us the opportunity. It, it empowered us to tell our story, to look at things that were going on in our life, all right? See some things that were going on, use some type of metaphor, use some type of wordplay, talk about some experience that was going on, all right? And then look about, hey, this is how life could be. And so, uh, but with rap, one of the things I remember was there was this uh, generational divide. So for my parents, they was like, why are you listening to that? I don't understand what they're saying. Okay, it was a completely different type of music than it was uh, Motown and the things that they grew up with. Now you've got these young uh, men from the East Coast, that's where we're primarily originated from, who were doing uh, these words over beats and they were talking and they were uh, using different types of metaphors and uh, it was energizing, it was empowering. And then uh, it became educational uh, as well. So I moved to uh, California in 1984, Southern California, all right? And uh, during that period, uh, Southern California produced a style of, of, of rap that once again changed not only rap, but it also once again pushed how we would look at the system that we live in. All right, what life was like for uh, African-Americans growing up and what we were hoping for. And so uh, there was a rise of what was called gangster rap. All right, now, the people that didn't like it, they called it gangster rap. In Compton and in L.A., Riverside, San Bernardino, Fontana, where I grew up, where this was originating, we didn't call it gangster rap. We were just telling about what was going on in the neighborhood. The people that didn't like it called it gangster rap. In fact, um, albums, CDs, all right, Tower Records. So we used to go to places to buy music, okay? You didn't just download it on your phone, but you had to go to a place called Tower Records and things like that and look up an album. And this is the first time because of gangster rap that on Albums, some you had to get your parents' permission to buy. But it was only for the gangster rap. So with Ice Cube and NWA and Ice T, it had that black label on it, explicit lyrics. And this is because these men were communicating what was going on in their neighborhoods. So they were using some very uh, powerful language, to say the least. All right? And they were telling truth different than the truth that was being told on the East Coast. All right, so uh, what I want to show you is, is the critique of power from one group, Public Enemy, all right? And then one year later, all right, from Ice Cube, okay? Public Enemy has a song, Fight the Power, all right? Ice Cube has a song called Endangered Species. Now, I caution you there's language, especially in the second one. All right? 
but I want you to hear how they uh, critique power, how uh, they taught us uh, to tell once again about our human experience in even a more clear way and, and not hide behind anything and what we were uh, hoping for. And so first is public enemy. Anybody heard this song before? Okay. All right, so he talks about freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is what we need. It's either freedom or death. All right, so you've got these young black men. Now, after, these men are like y'all age. All right, and for public enemy, their big thing was black empowerment. All right, that they took the message of, the, uh, of, of King, of Huey P. Newton, of Stokely Mark Carmichael, the Black Panther movement, and said, I am a man. Now, as a black man, I have self-worth, I have, I have dignity. And for public enemy, the other thing is we want to educate you and for you to be aware. That's what's said in this, uh, this song as well. That there are things that are going on, and they're saying, fight the power. Fight the power that is saying you're less than a man. Fight the power that says all you're worth is, is selling drugs or being in prison. Fight the power. That's what I was learning in 1989. It's a 16-year-old. That there were musicians out there saying, hey, this is who you are. This is who uh, you can be. Let's keep on going. So he says, we've got to train our mind. We've got to have mental self-fitness. Educate yourselves. Educate yourselves. Be aware of what's going on. We're not the same. Because we ain't playing the same game. It, reality, like everybody here, because of your skin color, has one game you play. All right? 
we over here have a different game we have to play. That's what I was taught. That's what I was learning. But we want freedom. And the freedom of speech to be able to say these things, to be educated, to be aware. So that's what I was learning as a 16-year-old. But at the same time, on the West Coast, where I was living, this other group rose up years earlier, and they said, F the police. It was a declaration. F the police. And this song sent reverberations, not just the community, but with law enforcement and the government itself, because how can you, how can we have, it depends on how you look at it, how can we have people saying to law enforcement, F you. And then they're making money off of it. And so on stations like 92.3 to be Power 106 is the station that we had, all right, in California. The song couldn't be played, right? But when you heard it in people's cars, that's how it spread. Why, though? They're not just saying F for police because they don't like the police. All right, the reason they were saying it is because the way they were being treated in their communities. Did you know that SWAT, one of the first reasons it was created was to put down the Black Panther movement in Los Angeles? That was the development of the Special Weapons uh, Tactical Unit for Police. All right, you had this group that was seeking to empower its community, Black Panthers, feeding programs, education programs, so on and so forth. All right. And there was becoming so, there was an early fight the power types, all right, all right, that the police interacted with that. And so now you have in the 80s, all right, you have this group, NWA, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, MC Ren, uh, DJ Yella, Easy e all right. They was making this declaration out of Compton, F the police. So you got on one end public enemy saying, fight the power, right? It was pretty straight, all right? You got on the other end on the West Coast, NWA is like, yeah. And so once again, I'm like, man, how do I feel about that? You know? Because I can't play this song in my house. Can't play this song in my house because of the language. So I had a boom box, you know, boom boxes, like these radios, it was like this. I mean, literally. They were like this. You know, you carry them. I know you've seen pictures, I'm sure. Right? But literally, that's what happened. Right? And I'd take my boom box and pull the speakers off and put one speaker on that end and one on that end. And I'd play my tape deck. Tapes. Right? Put some headphones on and listen to the stories that were being told. And then, uh, because of a series of events, um, Ice Cube uh, had a song called Endangered Species. Now I'm costing you uh, this uh, a little rough, but what he wanted to point out uh, in his Tales from the Dark Side is that this is what life is like growing up uh, in a inner city on the West Coast. All right, and once again, all right, this, this gave for me uh, a, a sense to pay attention to what was going on uh, with, with my friends and things that we were 
we're experiencing, okay? And uh, I'll play a little of this uh, briefly. Uh, but Chuck D, who is on Public Enemy, he, he collaborates on this song as well, okay? And so now, once again, you've got this unity that is happening uh, prior to, if you're familiar with the East versus West Coast rap split between, say, Tupac and Biggie, right? That wasn't always like that, okay? There was a time when it was a unified thing where we were just like, this is just great music that was telling our story. If you don't walk away with anything else that rap overall tells our story, all right? Uh, so I'll play this briefly. Commentary. That's how we were perceived. I'm not seeing this human being. I'm seeing this good game. And the government that's supposed to protect us, all right, is hunting us down through their law enforcement. Okay? Like one of my first interactions with law enforcement was in LA. Me and three of my other friends was in my white Toyota Corolla. And the police officer pulled me over, had to pull us all out, and had us go through a series of inspections. And then he put us in our car and said, you can go about your business. That was like life, Los Angeles, all right? But these songs captured that, because who else was going to tell the story? Our story had to be told, all right? And so uh, for Ice Cube, I remember... Uh, when I uh, got uh, this tape, we would have tracked me and my friend Michael Gentry uh, had given me, uh, now you got to check this out. And I was like, man, he's taking it a step further even than what NWA did. Once again, it's telling the story, all right, of the dark side, all right, metaphor for, you know, our communities, us growing up. All right, so critique. To serve, protect, and break the brother's neck. All right? That is the motto of the LAPD, to serve and protect. All right? Ice Cube takes it and says, no, they're not serving and protecting. What they're doing is serving, protecting, and, and killing us. All right? And so, once again, what we were learning was this is what's going on with our brothers. This is even what's going on with some of our sisters. And they were telling the story. This is what's wrong. This is our life experience. 
and this is what we're hoping for, treat us in the song, um, he wants America actually to be better. You don't get that from Ice Cube, but actually the heartbeat of the song is, and even all of these uh, songs I'm showing you is, they want America to be better. Channeling kind of like a Langston Hughes, all right? They want America to be America. So, uh, so, you know, growing up as a teenager, uh, I felt uh, supported by these men, all right? I was going to church, but I wasn't hearing this in church. I wasn't hearing anybody speak to me about what was going on in the African-American community, what it was like to be an African-American teenager. I didn't hear that on Sundays. What I heard was, you know, believe in Jesus, you know, say prayers, uh, have communion, okay, and then go about and have a great week. But Monday through Saturday, what I got to hear was, here's the stories. These are what are going on. I'm like, oh, my gosh, somebody is speaking to my experience, what is going on in my uh, life. And so uh, I felt empowered. I argue a lot of us felt empowered. Because you had a lot of young men and young women. For some of them, this music was their way out. It was their way out to be where they're at uh, today. Think about it. Beats. Who developed Beats? Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre did. Ice Cube. He's got more funny movie, family movies. I mean, it's kind of interesting to look at Ice Cube now and this Ice Cube. That's, that's the same Ice Cube. Like Barbershop. Right? Uh, are we there yet? All right? That's the same ice cube. This, this is that same ice cube. Okay? Everybody seen a Law and Order Special Victims Unit? The same ice cube. Heck, Snoop Dogg is hanging out with, uh, what's her name? The cook? Martha Stewart. This is gin and juice. All right? He's from Snoop Dogg from Long Beach. Cube and Dre from uh, Compton. All right, these, these men and these women, Queen Latifah, like she big, right? So for many of us, that was, this music was the way out. It was no longer just basketball or football, but I could tell my story. Somebody's going to obviously pay me for it. Why well, just sell it out in my car? That's how a lot of them got started. Hey, you want to buy this tape? I mean, literally, it's tapes. Tapes. All right, good. Get the two-deck boombox, and you just dub that joker over and give it to somebody else. Right? That just keeps on happening. So, um, but eventually, um, this storytelling found its way uh, into Christianity. And, uh, and that's had a tenuous relationship because of how rap started, you know, in Christian circles, it was, uh, that's devil's music. So first that was rock and roll was the devil's music. Then rap became the devil's music. All right. Uh, and then this young man came along uh, who his song profoundly uh, impacted my life. 
Uh, and it's a young man named uh, Lecrae. And uh, for my personal life as a Christian, he, he gave me the grounding to understand that everything that I've been given is for a purpose. Now, everything I've been given is for a purpose in order not just to benefit myself, but to benefit my family, to benefit others, and to glorify God. All right, and so uh, his song is uh, one or two I'll play for you is uh, Don't Waste Your Life. So uh, the song hinges on uh, the uh, understanding of Jesus Christ's uh, bodily resurrection. And if he hasn't risen, raised from the dead, then it don't matter. Do whatever I want to do. All right. But uh, from his perspective and then what I believe, because he has been risen from the dead, because I've been made uh, by God, because I believe every one of us has been made by God, all of us have purpose. And that everything that's been given to us, we should use uh, for a purpose, all right, which is to bless him, but also to bless each other. And so that's what grounds even my nonprofit that I do, that uh, because of a song like this and the instruction, the awareness, that mental fitness that uh, Chuck D was talking about, all right, I take that and say, you are made in the image and likeness of God. And so I'm going to treat you with such a respect and such a affirmation that I want to tell you, young man, your name? Ellis. Ellis, mm -hmm. you're a crown with glory and honor. And you, young lady, what's your name? Caitlin. Caitlin? Mm -hmm. That because God has made you in his image and likeness, I'm going to do whatever it takes to honor him and bless him by affirming your dignity and worth because you have been crowned with glory and honor. Each and every one of you, but not just you here in this college, but the person that is homeless out on the street right now has the same glory and honor as you do. And so when I'm working with either you or the homeless person out on the street or the person that is in some type of poverty, every time I'm going to them knowing this, I'm not wasting my life because I'm affirming their dignity and worth as human beings because they've been made in the image and likeness of God because God has uh, raised Jesus Christ from uh, death. And because of that, I am like vicious on advocating for people's dignity. Like if somebody were to come in and like say Ellis, he was worthless and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, I would stand in front and take every hit for Ellis and let that individual know, no, this young man is made in the image and likeness of God. And whatever he does, wherever he goes, whatever grade he gets in this class, it does not affect your dignity and worth. All right. And so because of a song like that, uh, 
I was glad, I've been glad that rap has found its way into uh, religion and Christianity specifically. And then uh, one other song, uh, as your professor said, uh, social justice is important to me. It's important to me because since Jesus is risen from the dead, I think he not only cares about our souls, but he cares about all of creation. All right. And so housing, work, food, I think are vital parts of the human existence. I believe that because you find in Genesis chapter one and two, God creates a house. Okay. He gives us good food to eat and he tells man and woman to work. All right. At least those three things. All right. And so because of that, the things that we do on a daily basis, the things that people experience on a daily basis, for me, in regards to housing, in regards to food access, in regards to uh, uh, work that is dignified, okay, the church has to talk about those things as well. The church can't just talk about going to heaven. All right, what about right now? Tons of people are going to be leaving, living decades here, and so how can we create signposts, if you will, to something better? All right, and so uh, this young man, Show Baraka, uh, did a song that addressed uh, this topic. So, uh, what does he teach me here? Critique. And not just critiquing one side, it's critiquing all sides. He says, liberals and intellectuals, uh, blog writers, they want to blog all day about computer rights, and they just want to blog about, oh, the, the young black boy that got shot by the police, but they never go out there and on the streets and actually do something about it. You just write about it. You pontificate. Sitting in your ivory tower where our Rome burns down. How do we get involved? How do we move from simply tweeting about it, Facebooking about it, Instagramming about it, to actual action? The revolution will not be what? Facebooked. Bring it forward. The revolution will not be tweeted. The revolution will not be Instagrammed or Snapchat. The revolution will be live. So Shobarak is saying, it's something else. 
Show Baraka is rifting off of a uh, 1964 speech given by Malcolm X called The Ballad or the Bullet. All right? And in that uh, context, Malcolm X is saying, okay, this is where we're at. All right? You know, he's critiquing Martin Luther King and their nonviolent approach. And, and Malcolm X is saying, is it the ballot? Is this how we're going to change things? Because look at these politicians. This is how they are. We ain't getting much out of it. All right? Or is it the bullet? And that's implied what that means. Do we just follow in a tradition that founded America? Do we follow in a tradition that pushed Native Americans off? Do we find, follow in a tradition that spreads democracy throughout all these lands? Is it the ballot or is it the bullet? This is what Shobaraka is, is uh, taking now and he's applying it today for us. And he goes on to say, looking finally at Jesus Christ, this is the imagination. Some people think Jesus is just peace, love, and hair grease. Some people think Jesus is just a warmonger, okay? But he says Jesus is holy and hangs out with the sinner. Jesus is, is God and human. Maybe it is both, okay? And so, uh, once again, uh, this is... Uh, the beauty and the power of rap and hip-hop because it tells a story. It offers critique. It tells uh, about the human experience and it uh, offers us a new imagination. So, I'm going to uh, shut up right there. Anybody got so a question? We've got six minutes. Yeah. Um, let's offer him some response. I think what you've been thinking, talking, questions that have emerged in your mind, whatever. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, going back earlier, uh, just talking about like what's going on in uh, reality, just like, yeah. um, why do you, what you think about uh, pastors not speaking about like what's going on today and like what they hear mm -hmm. in the music and mm -hmm. what they're listening to? Because I know like they're listening as well. But yeah. Like, on Sunday, we're talking about know the Bible, which is cool, but yeah. like, why are we not addressing the real world problem? Yeah. So that we can make it to the end, so, you know, so we yeah. can get our acts together and just know what to do now. Yeah, I think uh, part of my reflection is, I think uh, like I said, hip-hop and rap is, is a uh, acting in a prophetic tradition, okay, as the church once did. I'm thinking about uh, uh, during slavery, post-slavery, and then through the civil rights movement, it was prophetic, all right? It looked at the Bible. It critiqued what was going on. It said, this is how it should be, okay? The church nowadays, uh, for many pastors, it's about maintaining comfort, okay? It's about maintaining, uh, in some levels, of opulence, Okay, of achieving that American dream. We've been seduced instead of acting in that prophetic tradition. So what has happened now is these rappers have become the, the prophets and pastors for many uh, young persons in the streets today. All right, they see what's going on. All right, once again, they're critiquing. They're telling somebody's life story. This is how it should be. If the church is not going to do it and not tell the story, we'll tell it out here. And we may have to craft it with some uh, strong language, 
Maybe so. But if you read, if you read some of the prophets, this thing about the Old Testament, they got some language in there. It's language, I mean, in one passage, you know, he calls the leaders like cows, heifers, you know, a derogatory term. All right? That language is used in that prophetic speech to make a point. All right? It wasn't about the language. It was about this is how what's going on. Something needs to be done about it. And so for those pastors, what they need to do is, yes, read your Bible with a newspaper. Read your Bible. Understand that text. Then bring it through to the modern day and say, this is what's going on today. This is what we can, the themes that we can draw from this passage during that far back time. And this is how life should be. That's when the church, that's when that pastor is acting prophetically. That's when people are like, oh, okay, now he's speaking into my life. Or he, is, he or she is speaking into that experience. And that Bible is real, if you will. God cares about what's going on. Uh, I think the way rap music is sort of transitioning nowadays, mm-hmm. you have a lot, like a lot of social media superstars that's sort of taking the rap music and it's rap music so in the moment all the time. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think even with more recent artists like J. Cole, mm-hmm. he wrote on a song called Once Your Thoughts, and I think he got lyrics on it. I know I got the lyrics, so get another question. But anyway, he said, um, I think my verses can help somebody else more than the Bible can. Mm-hmm. This is paraphrasing. Yeah. So do, do you see rap music? I guess in the mainstream, sort of being able to to carry social commentary rather than just having like a bunch of people like Kendrick or J. Cole or Joey Badass. Because that's, that's, in mainstream, that's the only people I see like who are really doing it, you know? Yeah, is, uh, is J. Cole, is he independent? Is he? No, he's still with Rock Nation. Okay. Um, I think it has uh, the possibility to, um, because we've got, in the 80s, we have the examples. You know, they were on labels, but they were able to say what they needed to say, provide that social commentary. Um, my concern always is, and this is with anything, that we're not seduced by the materialism, right? And when materialism comes in, that changes your message a little bit. And I think like with J. Cole or Kendrick Lamar or some of the other ones you, you mentioned, uh, these individuals for whatever reason have been able to put that stuff out there and been accepted. And I think a lot of us are looking for that. Again, I think, uh, you know, some of the, the trap music, you know, it reminds me of uh, some of the early days where rap just got kind of commercialized. You know, they wasn't saying anything. Uh, it wasn't telling the story. There was more talking about, you know, what you can get and who you can do and that kind of stuff and not... Uh, telling a story, right? So I'm hopeful. I'm always hopeful. One more? I think uh, we really appreciate this. Yeah, I appreciate y'all too. We kind of, I kind of have wondered if we can get you to come back, but I'll talk to you about that separately. <laughs> because I think this is kind of part one and we need part two. Um, but thank you very, very much. Let's give my hand. Thank you very much. This has been Humanity Matters Podcast, discussing and reflecting on theology, philosophy, leadership, and nonprofits. For more information, visit our website 
philipfletcher.org. Or you can shoot us an email, leave us a comment, email us at humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. Like us on YouTube under Humanity Matters. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. If we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible.